This is Greg Keaton of Rand the Heavens Lower Come Down Podcast. Welcome to this next episode. Today we're going to look at the second part of the revival in Hezekiah's time. And we're going to call this uh, message The Great Invitation. After you saw and heard from part one, Hezekiah's father was a wicked man who offered his children um, as a sacrifice to Assyrian gods. But Hezekiah escaped from that, uh, no doubt influenced by his godly mother. And Hezekiah, in the first month of his reign, started the revival. Um, he opened up the doors of the temple that was closed by his father and had repaired. And then he spoke to the priests and the Levites, actually commanded them to, uh, to start uh, getting right with God and cleaning the temple. Again, when the priests and Levites should have been talking to him. And he told the Levites and the priests what to do. And of course, in verse 5, he said to carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. That's what he called the sin that was in the temple. Of course, we know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit today, and we need to get rid of the filthiness out of our lives as well for God to truly bless us. We know that the priest went into the inner part of the temple to clean it, that which is further from the eyes of man, but closest to the eyes of God. So these people are serious. They could have got away with sweeping things under the carpet as it were. Hezekiah would have known, um, but they were serious about getting right with God, and they got that filthiness out of the inner part of the temple. And they cleansed the temple within 16 days. In fact, at the end of chapter 29, it says, And Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. So, so far, this is basically a revival among um, the leadership of Judah, uh, obviously headed by King Hezekiah and then the priests and the Levites. But now there's going to come an invitation for the rest of Judah and Israel to come to this revival and get right with God as well. Let's read in verse 1 of chapter 30. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover or to the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation um, in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they all got together and someone came up with the idea, let's invite um, all of Judah to this revival. Um, let's invite all of Israel, the northern kingdom even. And they said, they all agreed, this is a great idea. And of course, we're told that the priests were not fully sanctified. And that word sanctified means they weren't holy enough, Lord. They were in a bad place um, because of this idolatry had gone on previously. But anyway, they were getting right with God and now everybody else is invited to come to this revival. And so that's what we need, isn't it? We need the leaders um, to get right with God, uh, to humble themselves and then invite the rest of the people to come to this revival. So it says then in verse 5, So they established a decree uh, to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. Now it says from Beersheba um even to Dan. Now, if you have any Bible maps in your Bible, Beersheba will be at the most southern tip there of Israel, near Egypt, and Dan will be the most northern city um, of Israel. 
So everybody was invited here. This was an all-encompassing invitation from Beersheba, even to Dan, all of Judah, the southern kingdom, and all of Israel, the northern kingdom. Now at this stage, the northern kingdom is under the, uh, the uh, rule of Assyria. And of course, uh, and we'll see um, in the next part about Assyria will be attacking in Jerusalem in Hezekiah's time. But right now, as I say, the northern kingdom of Israel is under the rule of Assyria. But God's people are there and the invitation is even for them. And why, by the way, was the northern kingdom under the rule of Assyria? Because they too had turned their backs on God and God gave them over to their enemies. If we turn our backs on God, if we turn to idolatry and sin of the world, the same will happen to us as believers as well. So the invitation is, I said, to everybody. Verse 6 of chapter 30. So the priests went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. And according to the commandment of the king, saying, so this is the message that Hezekiah has, uh, or the letters that, have been, that the, uh, the messengers have been given to, in this invitation. And this is the message, the content of the letter of the invitation to Judah and Israel. Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. So we see the start of this letter, the content is that the people of Israel are invited to turn back to God. Yes, God's people are invited to turn back to him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength, to turn away from the world and turn back to God. That's the invitation. That's the start of the letter. It goes on, verse 7, And be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as ye see. Don't be like your fathers and your other brethren, your other people of Israel and Judah, um, which trespassed, sinned against the Lord. Um, and because of that trespass and that sin, the places, the cities they live in is desolate. It, they're being destroyed by the enemy. When you turn away from God, when you turn to the world, uh, uh, you, your life will be destroyed. The church will be destroyed. As I believe is happening today, getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And this is what he's saying to them. In verse 7, actually, sorry, verse 8. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be stubborn. Don't stiffen your neck when you hear this message, when you hear this invitation. Don't stiffen your necks because your fathers, your forefathers, when the prophets came and spoke to them, these men of God, they stiffened their neck, they hardened themselves, they would not listen. Hebrews tells us, um, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Again, that message, it was uh, to the church. Um, the church that Hebrews was written to. If today, if you will hear his voice, it's not automatic, harden not your hearts. Don't harden your hearts when God is trying to speak to you, okay? So he tells them, be not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves, give in unto the Lord, and enter into his sanctuary, which he had sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Wow, what language. The fierceness of his wrath. Many preachers today, certainly in Ireland, I will preach such words. To God's people, you need to turn back to God. So that his, the fierceness of his wrath will be taken away from us. Wow. We must turn back to God 
so that we will, uh, he will, God will take away the fierceness of his wrath away from us. God is holy, folks. God is holy. He hates sin. Remember that verse again. God's eyes are too pure to behold evil. I think a lot of Christians today think that, that they get a pass because they're believers. We're in the age of grace. God doesn't judge his own people like this anymore. Really? What about Ananias and Fires who dropped dead when they lied to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5? What about, again, the seven churches in Revelation? Five of the churches were commanded to repent. Wow. Yes, God still talks like this today. I am the Lord. I change not. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the message that, uh, the invitation that Hezekiah brought to the people of Israel and Judah. And this is the message that God is bringing to the church today. But if we stiffen our necks, if we harden our hearts, we won't hear that invitation and we won't be interested. But Hezekiah is pleading with these people that the, God's fierce, the fierceness of God's wrath will turn away from us. Verse 9. For if you turn again unto the Lord, uh, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive. So many of these people are in captivity under the Assyrians. But God says, if you turn back to me, you'll find compassion with your captives. So that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord our God is gracious and merciful. and will not turn away his face from you if ye return unto him. Well, again, that's very clear, isn't it? God is, uh, what does it say here? Gracious and merciful. Aren't you glad God is gracious and merciful? Because if God was not gracious and merciful, even to us as believers, uh, none of us would be alive today. When you consider the sin that we allow into our lives, even our thought life. God is gracious and merciful. Grace means God's supernatural favor and enablement by his spirit and his mercy where he holds back the judgment that we deserve. And this is part of this great invitation. And God will not turn his face away from you, it says in verse 9, if you return to him. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But do we leave God forsake him? Yes, we do. All the time, actually. A lot. But God says he will not turn his face away from us. That, turn away his face, uh, that's also translated many times, his presence. God will not take away his presence from you or turn his face from you if you return to him. So this is a conditional. We have to make a choice. We must return back to God. We must humble ourselves. We must be honest. Or else we will harden our hearts and we will not hear his voice. But this is the invitation, again, that God has given um, through Hezekiah to the rest of Judah and Israel. And this is the invitation that God has given to you, his child today. But are you listening or are you making excuses? So verse 10. So the post passed from city to city, right? The letters passed from city to city, the invitation uh, through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. But... They laugh them to scorn and mock them. Did you hear that? This is the reaction of the people of Ephraim, Manasseh and Zebulun when they heard the invitation for this to come to this revival to get right with God. They laugh them to scorn the messengers. They laugh the messengers to scorn and mock them. This is their reaction to Hezekiah's letter. No, we're not interested. 
We don't need revival. Everything is fine. This is just, this is just emotionalism. This is just fleshiness. Um, we're not interested. We don't want to know. Folks, from reading about many revivals throughout history, the biggest opposition to revival, sadly, is usually from God's people, not from the world. Yes, the world does react. They like to react to the gospel and to God's word all the time. We expect that. But should we expect God's people to mock and scorn when they're invited to get right with him? But that's what happens. God's people react, reject revival many times. This kind of preaching is termed legalism and divisive. I have been accused of that recently and not for the first time. I won't be for the last. And I'm not the first person to be accused of divisiveness um, and uh, legalism with this kind of preaching. Um, I'm not the first person. I won't be the last. I remember listening to a godly man from South Africa called Keith Daniels. Many of you may know about him. I encourage you to listen to his sermons. And in one of the messages... Um, he talked about um, when he would talk, uh, read passage like this about God's people uh, getting right with him and turn away from worldliness. He'd be accused of legalism and he would say, no, it's not legalism. It's about holiness. The Bible says, come out, for ye, come out ye from among them and be ye separate. Again, God said that in the Old Testament to Israel and he said that to the church, New Testament, the book of Corinthians. The church of Corinth, which was a wicked city, the church was told to be separate from the worldliness of Corinth. Come out from among them, be a separate. That's what holiness is about, being separate, being different from the world. But from what I see, most Christians don't want to hear this message. Look at all the nice things we're doing. Well, that's great. You know, the seven churches, a lot of those churches were doing nice things. And God did commend them for that. But he also told them to repent of sin, of idolatry, of worldliness. Or else I'll come and remove the candlestick out of your church. My presence will be gone. I'll remove my presence from your life. Well, I know what that's like. It's horrible to be a wilderness Christian, to be a castaway. The world is sucking the life out of the church. And the heart for revival is just not there. The belief is just not there. So many of God's people mock at revivals. They say it's emotionalism, it's exaggeration, it's lies. It didn't happen. Or it doesn't happen anymore. That was back then, but not now. We're in the age of grace, you know. God won't judge us. God's not legalistic and divisive like you. You know, if you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was accused from his preaching by the people of Israel of weakening the men's hearts. They wanted smooth things preached to them, it says. Singers a sweet song, they said. And they threw Jeremiah into the prison, into the dungeon to die. Only, and only because of a godly man, he was taken out. Get rid of the messenger. We don't want to hear this. We do not need revival. Everything is fine. We're doing everything is fine. Everything is not fine, folks. If you listen to the news, what's going on with this whole pandemic thing, um, our freedom is going, especially for those who are not vaccinated. And the church is silent about these things. The heart is not there to be different, to stand up. It's going to come at a time soon. I, I, I promise you, I prophesy about this, that the unvaccinated will not be allowed to go to church. Sadly, blame and the unvaccinated on the spread of the virus, which when 90% when of our population is vaccinated, and yet one out of, out of every three people in the ICU today are fully vaccinated people. But what does the media say? Two out of three people in the hospitals are unvaccinated. 
That may be true, but I don't even believe that because I don't trust the media. But that means one out of every three fully vaccinated people are in the ICU today, sick with COVID. Unbelievable. Thousands of people have died after taking this vaccine all over the world. Thousands upon thousands have got serious illnesses and sickness because of taking this vaccine. Um, and this is a fact, and the media are ignoring it. And if you say anything against them, you're censored. And the church leaders, particularly, are silent. Just like so many things. Back when the homosexual uh, referendum was coming along, we had some churches giving this joint statement. It was so weak, so flimsy, so waffly. And they said things like, um, well, you already have civil marriage, you know. But they never said homosexuality is wicked, is an abomination. This is Bible language. This is what God says. Because they don't offend people. The church is in a very weak place. And in a lot of things, they're silent. And they're certainly silent about worldliness in the church. They don't want to talk about it. Oh, we're all believers in Jesus. That's all that matters. No, that's not true. We're supposed to come out from among them and be separate. We're meant to be holy, separate people, godly people. No, you used to be able to tell the difference between a Christian and an unbeliever just by the way they dressed. That's not the case anymore, is it? You know, Paul Washer, um, he's a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. Neither am I an Armenian either. There's been some godly Calvinists through the centuries. And I love to hear, read about them, like David Brainard, John John Edwards, and Paul Washer would be one of them. And years ago, he said that the way Christians dress and behave and live today would have embarrassed the world 30 years ago. Wow, what a statement. But many Christians will say, that's legalism. That's divisive. No, that's actually holiness. That's godly people speaking up. And God wants you to come and be revived today. He wants me to become and be revived. That's my intention and my heart. That's why I'm doing these podcasts. That the church will come out from among the words and be separate. And be holy, separate people unto God. That's what, that's what God is looking for. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, that word means. I plead with you, Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. This is reasonable. This is not over-demanding. We should be holy, uh, uh, surrendered people to God. We should be living sacrifices to God. And then the next verse says, and be not conformed to the world. See that word conform, con, that's where you get the word con artist from. Be not conformed, con, to being like the world. Be not conformed to the world. Stop looking like the world, living like the world, talking like the world. Stop being conformed. Stop fashioning yourself to the world, it says elsewhere. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that uh, holy, perfect, acceptable will of God. That's what God says. Present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is reasonable service. Stop conforming yourself to the world. But the, the church doesn't want to hear this kind of message anymore. Speaking to smooth things. Stop weakening the people. Stop being so negative. Stop being so divisive. Stop being so illegalistic. This is the way the church is reacting today. And it's frightening. The things that the church is now accepting. You know, when Christian rock music first came out, it was a shock to the church. In fact, rock music was a shock to the world. 
you know. Elvis Presley started the whole thing um, uh, by his gyrating and his sexual moves when he was dancing. Uh, that's nothing compared to today, of course, right? But it was a shock to the world when the rock music force came out. It was also a shock to the church, but not anymore. Many, made it, many of you may have heard of uh, David Wilkinson, who started Teen Challenge and the book uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. It was a godly man, not perfect, but it was a godly man. He was from a, a Pentecostal background. But the Pentecostals back in his day were very holy people. They were big into holiness. They're not as much today. They're into all kind of weird stuff, emotionalism and stuff like that. Um, but he was a godly man. And when, he, when he, he was at some events and for the first time you heard a Christian rock band uh, singing a song, and he ran up the, the centre of the aisle shouting, Ichabod, Ichabod. That was his reaction when he were first heard his first Christian rock song. The word Ichabod means the glory has departed. That was his reaction. It was a shock that this would be in the context of a Christian church um, and Christian lives. But it's not a shock anymore. You know? It's not a shock anymore. There's a lot of things that are not a shock anymore to the church. You read back in revival times how pubs closed down during revivals. This is a reaction of the lost people. When they became Christians, no more drinking, no more alcohol stuff. Um, in the Ulster revival of 1859, there was a, a, a distillery that produced uh, over one million gallons of whiskey every year. Closed down during the revival, a lack of business. And this is what you find pubs closing down in Wales and Ulster and in, in revivals everywhere. Nothing to do with drinking. Today, drink, Christians now drink. Or they call it uh, social drinking, moderate drinking. They dance with the lost, with wicked rock music, sensual dressing, sensual atmosphere. They're now comfortable with that. Maybe years ago, I went to an outreach event and the top prize for the table quiz before the guy preached was four bottles of wine. And while the people were listening to these games and uh, preaching, they were drinking alcohol. No wonder nobody got saved. No wonder God's presence wasn't felt. God's glory has departed, I believe, from the church long ago. Somebody once said that if the Holy Spirit were to leave my church, this is actually a pastor said this, if the Holy Spirit would leave my church tomorrow, nobody would notice. Because we can get on just fine without him by all our programs and all the things that we do. We're having a great time. Christian, a lot of Christians are having a great time today, despite the freedom that we're losing. In the last year or two, our freedom has gone more and more and more, and the world's not reacting against this tyranny and these rules, and neither is the church either. It's silence. Folks, the church needs revival, and the invitation is for you to come and get right with God, to come out from among them and be a separate. Will you, will you come, or will you mock and scorn, and will you call this divisiveness and legalism? Because that's the reaction of many of these people from Ephraim, Manasseh and Zebulun. However, in verse 11 it says, Nevertheless, divers, or many of Asher and Manasseh, and of Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Some of them humbled themselves and said, Yes, we need revival. We want to get right with God. We haven't, we're not right with God. We've been stiff-necked. We've been worldly. We have forsaken our God. Um, and we have uh, conformed ourselves to the world. We want to come and join this Passover. We want to get right with God. We want to turn back to him that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. There will always be a godly remnant that will humble themselves at preaching like this. I'm hoping that some of you will be doing that today. 
that's the journey that I want to go on. I'm hoping that many people will join me. Revival preaching is not popular, certainly not today. And you know what? Somebody could preach this message better than me, but you won't hear that better message. I'm not in the, I'm not, uh, in the same place as great men of God in the past or even today. Um, but this is the burden that I have, and I believe this is the message the church needs to hear. Um, many of you will reject this, like the people of Israel rejected Jeremiah and said you're weak in the people's hands, you're discouraging them. But Jeremiah was speaking the truth. The Babylonians are coming. Judgment is coming. Turn back to God. Turn back to God. They would not listen. And it came a point where God told Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. I will not hear. It's too late. And I feel, folks, that the church of Jesus Christ today is in the same condition as the last days of Judah. It's getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Compromise more and more. And judgment is already here and it's coming. God does judge churches. Like I said, the seven churches of Revelation, he told a few of the churches, I'll remove uh, my candlestick, my presence away from you if you do not repent. Don't let that happen, Lord. Uh, don't let that happen, folks, to your life. It's already happening. Now is the day to repent and come back to God. All you have to do is humble yourself and get right with God, just like some of these people did. And it says in verse 12, also in Jude, that the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. So these people who came to Jerusalem, they had one heart. This is the real unity that we need, okay? But it comes about by revival. Some people think that you must have unity to have revival. That is not true. And that is proven not to be true by history. Um, most churches are actually divided when revival comes. And did you know also that revival actually brings this unity. Because just like in Hezekiah's time, uh, time um, when it comes to revival and revival preaching, many people will mock and scorn and harden their hearts and not interested. But a few will humble themselves. So revival actually brings division because there's people who are hungry for this and will listen and others who won't listen and are in denial that the church needs to humble itself and get right with God and come, away and come out from among the world and be separate. They don't want to know. You know, um, and that is our, our, our present uh, condition. God wants us to humble ourselves and come to him. Real, use, real unity comes when we get right with God. And we join together in revival prayer meetings and revival preaching. And uh, we become holy vessels to him. That's the, that's the unity, real unity. A lot of unity today is what I call ecumenical unity. Where we're all believers in Jesus, you know. That's all that matters. Forget about everything else, all these things that we're doing. That doesn't matter as long as you believe in Jesus. Um, this ecumenical unity. You know, it's, it's frightening to hear Christians in evangelical churches use that kind of language that the Catholic Church are using um, as they try to bring all the denominations together, including all religions together. Um, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus, as long as you believe in God, that's all that matters. No, it doesn't. Come out from among them and be a separate. Okay. Be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed renewing of your mind. Be a living sacrifice. You know, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. What's it costing you to be a Christian today? What's it costing you? I see very little cost for the church in the Western world. It's costing Afghan Afghanistan Christians. It's costing North Korean Christians. It's costing Saudi Arabian Christians. Chinese Christians in a communist country 
But what's it costing you as a Christian in Ireland to be a Christian? God said, I think Jesus said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise. That's very definite. If you are living godly in front of this wicked world, you will be persecuted. Question is, why is the church in Ireland not being persecuted? It might be being threatened and intimidated, but is it being persecuted? You speak the truth like this and you will be persecuted. You stand up against the wickedness um, that's in your schools, in the colleges, in the workplace, on the streets, and you will be persecuted. And not only will you be persecuted by the world, you'll be persecuted by other believers, as, um, as Jeremiah was and the other prophets, as Isaiah was, who was sawn in half for what he preached to the people of Judah, God's people, in the book of Isaiah. He was sawn in half for that message by God's people, supposedly. So again, the biggest resistance to revival is usually God's people. Why does it cost you to be a Christian? You know, carrying a cross, cross means, what, death, pain, suffering, um, accused of, uh, falsely accused of things, right? Um, being rejected, being mocked. And many of you are experiencing such a Christianity today. I see a Christianity that's having a great time with their Christian rock music and concerts and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And yes, helping each other and doing nice things. But who is suffering persecution, real persecution, because you're preaching the truth? It's not happening, is it? So, you know, everything has an opposite. So the verse says, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, the opposite of that is, they that are not living godly in Christ Jesus will not suffer persecution. Now, am I saying that we look for persecution? No, I'm not saying that. But when you give your life to God, when you surrender him, your mind, your body, your soul, your mouth, your choices, your life, your everything, you will suffer persecution. You go and tell any Christian today or any church that they need to repent of their worldliness, you will suffer persecution, sadly. You go there and tell the world that homosexuality is wickedness and transgenderism is wickedness, and it is. You will suffer persecution, but the church is not interested Oh, we're against these things, but they do it quietly. They won't put it on the website. They won't say it publicly because they might be kicked out of the building. They might be kicked out of their jobs or they might lose friends. A church is respectable in front of the world. It's liked by the world. How come we're not suffering persecution? How come the world doesn't hate us? How come we're not being persecuted? Why is it not costing you to be a Christian? Because I think we've left our first love just like the church of Ephesus. Because I think, like the Laodicean church, we become lukewarm. And that lukewarm Christian, it will compromise to the world, so they won't be persecuted. They won't say things they ought to say. They won't make a stance. They, won't, they don't want to be different. But there are a few who will humble themselves and pray and see God's face and turn from their wicked ways, just like in the days of Hezekiah. Will you be one of them? Well, in verse... 31, sorry, in chapter 31 of uh, Second Chronicles, just the one verse, I've read this before. Now when all this is finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin in Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. What's going on here is God's people are getting rid of all the idols out of their lives. They are ruthless when it comes to it. These are the people that many of you might say, 
are legalistic, are divisive. These people are serious when it was getting right with God. Remember in Ezra's time, the people had, uh, if Israel or Judah had married um, wives from other nations who worshipped other gods. And they were so determined to have God's favour again that his wrath would be turned away from them to be holy, uh, uh, separated vessels, surrendered vessels unto God. They, they actually put, put away their wives. They got rid of them and the children. Now God does not command such things, but this is the drastic action that they took. You know, they want to be right with God. And they were willing to do whatever it took, whatever the cost, because they knew if they stayed married to these women and, and the children, their hearts would be corrupted themselves, as happened to Solomon when he married these pagan wives. They took away his, they corrupted his heart, the Bible tells us. But here in Hezekiah's time, they went through all their lands and got rid of all the idols out of their country. Today, we must get rid of, get rid of all the idols out of our lives. Sports, music, films, the approval of people, trying to be cool and accepted and trendy. So much of Christianity today is trendy. We have the trendy preachers, you know, they wear the jeans, their shirts are sticking out, they wear leather gears, you know, um, they go drinking and all. They're so cool and trendy and the messages are blunt. They are powerless. They don't offend anybody. They're not stirring up the church for revival. You know, uh, we heap to ourselves Teachers having itching ears. Oh yes, that feels so good. Oh yes, God. Oh yes, thank you for that. Oh, it's great to be a Christian. Oh, everything's great. You know, these motivational, encouraging messages. And there's, of course, there's a place for that. But God's people are in a bad place. We need prophets. We need men like Hezekiah to rise up and say, Thus saith the Lord. To come out from among them, be separate, to get rid of the idols out of our lives. Today, God's temple is our bodies. And I believe we have idols that need to go so that we can have the blessing of God. I believe that, I don't believe the whole church and around the world can be revived today, but I believe that individual Christians and even individual churches can know the blessing of God, can have revival. But we must get right with God. We must um, come out from among them and be separate. We must present their bodies a living sacrifice. You know, there's no honour, is there, in being silent when people are doing wickedness around us, when we're afraid. There's no honour, it's a shame, isn't there? I feel it all the time. There's no honour. And you notice that, even for me, I witnessed to uh, a man who came to fix, fix the electricity yesterday. And I witnessed him, and I gave it all my heart, but I felt no power. And that seems to be the testimony of a lot of people. It seems that, that the Holy Spirit's power has left the church. The Shekinah glory has left the church, and we don't even know it. Remember Samson, after his hair was cut, and he rose up to fight against the Philistines. He said, I'll rise up like I did before. But the Bible says he wist not, he knew not that the Lord had departed. His power was gone. Now, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. But his power does. His presence does. But many believers, many, Christian, many, many Christians are so used to having a fleshly uh, life with no Holy Spirit power, they don't even notice. Because we've got programs, we've got services uh, what's, what's the problem? What's the matter? And yet, as you listen to the news, the laws they're bringing out are taking away our freedom and the church doesn't seem to know. The church seems to be like that frog that, sh that is put in the water. Instead of putting the frog into boiling water, uh, which means he'll jump out straight away, you put the frog into the water and you heat up the water slowly. And, be and before it's too late, he'll be dead because he'll be killed by the boiling water. But it's done slowly. 
And I think the church is dying slowly, it seems, that is going the same direction as the last days of Judah. The people of Judah were in denial. When Jeremiah spoke to them, they didn't want to hear it. There was, of course, a godly exception, a godly remnant who did, but for the most part, the people of Judah did not want to hear what Jeremiah had to say, that the people need to turn back to God, to turn from idolatry and get right with God. And I believe, sadly, that the church of the Western world is in the same place. You know, the churches in North Korea and China and Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan, they're not lukewarm. We're supposed to, I thought we are supposed to be in this lukewarm age. Well, how come they're not lukewarm? You're lukewarm, I'm lukewarm, but they're not. I remember reading uh, the book Torture for Christ by uh, Richard Wurmbrand, who was a pastor in Romania who spent many years in prison and torture and solitary confinement. And in the book he said that he did not know of any lukewarm Christians in Romania. Wow. I think most of the Christianity in the Western world is lukewarm, except for a small remnant. Well, I don't want to die and leave this life a lukewarm Christian. I used to be on fire for God. I used to see souls saved, abused and preaching to the lost and the saved. That's gone because I've sinned against God. I've grieved him. I'm honest enough to admit that. It's shameful. It's horrible, but it's true. How about you too? Have we not left our first love? Have we not become lukewarm? God says, I was beauty out of my mouth. Lukewarm Christianity is powerless. It's insipid. It's disgusting. Who wants lukewarm water? Who wants lukewarm tea or lukewarm Coke? No, you want to eat or cold or hot. Depends on what drink it is, don't you? God wants reality. See, lukewarm is means you're in denial. You're sitting on the fence. Well, I'm not doing those big sins, but you're not in fire for God either. You're not suffering persecution. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So that's where we leave it today. Come now, let us reason together. Say the Lord is the invitation. The invitation is to you, the invitation is to me. But remember the warning. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Come back to God. Be honest, Christian. Be a holy, separate people unto him. Come out from the world and be a separate. Come out from the world. Come out from even ungodly Christians. Unless you're revived and you can bring them with you. So in this in revival, some people will mock, but some people will humble themselves. I'm hoping that at least one person listening to this podcast will humble themselves and pray and see God's face and turn from their wicked ways. Then God will hear from heaven. He'll forgive your sin and he will heal your life, your spiritual life. Come out from the wilderness. That's no place for a Christian. Let's go face these giants. God will be with you. Let's have revival amongst us. Come out from among them, be a separate, say the Lord. Don't forget to listen to my other podcasts um, that I put up there. Uh, I did one a few days ago about the Congo revival in 1953. I just read a short account. I encourage you even to listen to that. My heart is for the church to be revived. It's not to condemn. It's not to cause division or be legalistic. No, no. But the church needs to be revived. We need to humble ourselves and get right with God so we can have the Holy Spirit come down in power and awaken us and see this country turn to God as a result. So thank you for listening again. Goodbye and God bless. And don't forget to share these podcasts, if you can, with others on Facebook or wherever else, okay?